Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 18, Arena. The show, Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. The episode, Arena, the fate of humanity in the balance. In this corner, in the red trunks, the bruiser from Buffalo, Ken Ray. And across the country, hopefully wearing trunks of some sort, the hitter from Hollywood, Mr. John Champion. Pleasure to be here, Ken. You know what? Speaking of Arena, I had a pet iguana once. <laughs> I did, and I have to tell you, those little things, you wouldn't think it, they're very hormonal. All right, you're, so. you're trying to throw me off my game. You're trying to throw me off balance. Listen, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I'm going to knock you out. Mama, oh, Mama said, said knock you out? Knock you <laughs> yeah. out. I am the greatest podcaster of all time. <laughs> We're going toe-to-toe, mano a mano. You uh, float like a butterfly and sting like a... Uh, I don't like, know. Like a very scary reptilian enemy. Yeah, he is scary. He is yeah. a scary reptilian <laughs> enemy. A, a little plastic, but we'll, we'll get into that. But hey, before we get into today's match in the arena, you can get in touch with us. Yes, you can. And you don't need a universal translator to do it. You can just go to your library computer and punch up facebook.com slash mission log pod or on Twitter at mission log pod. You can also talk to us on Skype at mission log pod. Or if you have one of those early cage era communicators with the big dial on it, you can ring us up at 323-522-5641. We may even use a clip of you on our show. Hey, and by the way, if it's controversial, call it in, because I think Ken and I would love a chance to reply. Am I right? (laughs) Am I right? Yeah, it's always fun when people disagree with us in a way that we can also write back to them and go, oh, I see what you're saying, or, oh, I disagree, but thanks for playing. Right. That's fun. I like when people do that. Yeah, you know, the internet is weird because you, you read comments on, I, you know, YouTube is the worst, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but you read comments and it's a lot of uh, just sort of, uh, oh, shall we say whistling in the dark? Yeah. You know, but, uh, but I like the idea that, well, our show is designed to be a conversation. So we want people to converse, um, not just sort of throw out a, uh, a criticism. <laughs> here, here, here is what I have learned. After seven years of podcasting, you really Let's shouldn't. See always read the comments and hopefully sometime in the next seven years i will actually adhere to that philosophy (laughs) right 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 (laughs) just look at the number of stars and move on and i'm sorry you know okay i think i'm over it now i think i'm over it now okay you're gonna be all right yeah let's talk about today's show all right we went to a dark place yeah oh Uh, we're going to a fun place in today's show though one of my favorite places we mentioned it a few episodes ago vasquez rocks Oh, my God. Vasquez Rocks. It is so cool. Um, I've gone there now. It it took me so long after moving to California, but I I finally went to Vasquez Rocks and it is every bit as photogenic and it's just impressive. You're standing there and you go, wow, I have seen this in movies and TV shows a hundred times and it is beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I many, many years ago, I was dating uh, somebody in L.A. when I lived in San Francisco Mm -hmm. and um it was really great because 
she remembered when she first moved to L.A. So there was all this like really neat movie stuff. So when I, you know, would go down to visit her, and I think I've been to L.A. maybe three times, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I've seen, I've, you know, I've, I've seen Vasquez Rocks because she was like, yeah, this is a place that you have to go. You'll know it yeah. as soon as you see it. I'm not going to tell you. And we got there and I was just like, you know, it was like a it was like a bright shining light. Like, <laughs> shone right. down upon me and and thankfully no giant snake guys trying to kill me at the same time yeah and, and i think the thing about you know vasquez rocks was used in star trek a lot but i think that arena is probably the known uh uh place you know the, the arena or i should say vasquez rocks is best known for its appearance in arena just because there's a lot of it frankly um and, and you go there and you just it's like, oh yeah the gorn fought right over there yeah, <laughs> but know? I mean, I mean, there are other things too. I mean, you you see Vasquez Rocks uh, drawn in The Simpsons. Um, mm-hmm, I know that mm-hmm. uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yep, uh, I remember that very well. Um, yep. uh, their appearance in that. So yeah, yeah. it's just a, it's 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 a it's a fun set to see. It's not a set. I mean, it's a fun right. thing to see when when you, when you, when you see the Vasquez Rocks in anything. Uh, keep watching because at the very least, you got good scenery. Yeah. So, by the way, let's talk a little bit about the production trivia at that time. Um, so, Bobby Clark was the man in the Gorn outfit. And um, it, it's very interesting. I, I got these little tidbits here from uh, Larry Nemechek, who is a Star Trek historian, I like to say. He's many things, but he is a Star Trek historian. And he has actually led tour groups to Vasquez Rocks. And has done that with Bobby Clark. And some of the little tidbits that came from that, uh, you know, he's actually wearing these sort of long gauntlet glove type things to cover his hands. And they had snipped holes around the uh, the knuckles. And he would literally have to just stop, put his arms down by his side and let the sweat drain out of those holes. Because he was just a sweaty, sweaty man under that rubber suit, you know. All right. And, Wait, before uh, we go any further, let's assure people that that's the last we'll hear of that. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's all. <laughs> this does not figure into the show, and you are well, so welcome. But here's the thing. I mean, you, you have to remember, you know, you're in the desert, and even though it was filmed later in the year, yeah. you're wearing a rubber suit. He was wearing yeah. a rubber suit, so it, it would just be not a pleasant uh, feeling yeah. at all. Um, and he, even worse, he could not take the suit off while they were filming. This would have taken too long. So they just had a ladder and they would lean it up against a rock and then he would sort of lean. He could take the head off and he would just sort of lean against the uh, against the, the ladder to take a rest. Those props, the uh, the giant rubber uh, suit, uh, it actually went into Bob Justman's office after filming um, and he would use that to kind of scare people. He'd open the door and there's a giant Gorn facing you. And uh, there was a replica at Star Trek The Experience, which I thought was pretty cool. We, we've mentioned The Experience a couple of times. And um, it, now what I liked is that back in the day, if you were a, a child of the 70s, uh, Mego, Mego, I think it's Mego. Uh, I believe it was Mego, yeah. yeah. They made an action figure and it, it called the Gorn and it was just completely wrong. It, it was more like an alligator shaped head and he was brown and he was wearing a Klingon outfit. But then later on when they kind of did this retro re-release uh, uh, just within the last five years or so, and early 21st century stuff, um, they corrected it and they made a new sculpt and they made him green and they made the costume look right. So I thought that was very cool. Um, And more importantly, this is the only Star Trek storyline to be credited 
to a previously published story. Now, it wasn't necessarily sourced from it. Um, it you know, by all indications, this story was written. Um, it, it was indicated that it was written by uh, a Star Trek writer. And then they realized later on, oh, wait, this very closely resembles a story that was published in the 40s in a sci-fi magazine. Let's get in touch with the writer and at least give him a credit. So it doesn't look like we just completely ripped them off. And hey, and the writer was fine with that. It, it, you know, great. My story is turned into a show. So uh, cool. Coming up a bit later, set your phasers for pun, as I do a bit of wordplay with the corn. But first, the episode recap. Prologue. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and three crew members prepare to beam down to an outpost on Cestus 3, where they look forward to the hospitality of Commodore Travers and food that doesn't come from a tube. Travers asks Kirk to bring his tactical people, which Spock finds curious, but like Ben Folds 5, they do it anyway. Beaming down, though, the away team finds no Travers and pretty much no outpost. The Cestus 3 settlement has been destroyed. Act 1. Everything about the trip to Cestus 3 has been faked. They were called there a day ago, but Kirk figures the destruction to be at least three days old. They do find one survivor, near death, and pick up other life forms on the sensors, cold-blooded, not human. One of the away team says he sees something, then gets phased out of existence, just as explosives begin to rain down on the away team. Kirk calls the Enterprise to beam them up, but the Enterprise cannot. It, too, was under attack. With the Enterprise tactical crew on Cestus 3, Kirk begins calling out orders to the Enterprise as he weaves his way to the outpost munitions supply. Along the way, he tells the Enterprise to leave orbit to protect itself, something the Enterprise does. The shelling continues, though that's not the unseen enemy's only weapon. They're also able to lock on the Spock's tricorder and make it explode, though not before Spock throws it away from himself. With munitions finally in their control, Kirk fires a wonder grenade where they think the enemy to be. Sulu calls down and says the enemy seems to have beamed out. Our away team does the same. Aboard the Enterprise, the lone survivor of Cestus III says the attack was unexpected, unprovoked, and merciless. They even said they had women and children at the outpost, but still, no mercy. Kirk figures there can be only one reason for the brutality. This is step one of an invasion. Destroy the outpost, destroy the Enterprise, leave this section of Federation space vulnerable, then begin invading. Spock's not so sure, but if that is the case, the unseen alien must not be allowed to return to his homeworld. Act 2. The Enterprise is in hot pursuit of the alien ship. Ahead, warp factor 6, a speed the alien matches to stay away. Kirk ramps Enterprise to warp factor 7, which kind of freaks Scotty and Spock out. Imagine how freaked out they'd be by warp 11. Spock wonders whether destroying the aliens is necessary. Maybe just the chase would be enough of a message. Plus, they're sentient life forms, but Kirk says there's no time for that. The alien ship ramps up to warp 7, prompting Kirk to ramp the Enterprise to warp 8, prompting the entire bridge crew to get a bit antsy. The aliens don't seem to have more speed to apply, though. The Enterprise is gaining. While in pursuit, Uhura and Spock notice that their ship is being scanned by a distant solar system. It offers no apparent hostility or resistance, though, so the Enterprise presses on. Suddenly, the alien ship comes to a dead stop. Then, as it draws closer to the alien ship, the Enterprise comes to a dead stop. Life support's fine. Weapons and propulsion, though, they're offline. Spock figures out that they're being held in place by the distant solar system that had been scanning them. Now, meet the Metrons. They ID the humans and aliens, called the Gorn, it turns out, as violent races bent on each other's destruction. This the Metrons cannot allow, but tell you what, we've set up a planet where you, Captain Kirk, and the captain of the Gorn ship can fight to the death. Whoever wins gets to return to their ship and go on their merry way, 
Whoever loses dies, and their ship will also be destroyed. P.S. There will be stuff on the planet to build weapons sufficient to kill the other guy. And with that, Kirk is on a rocky terrain, face-to-face with the human-sized, lizard-like Gorn. Act 3. Kirk, like most humans, he says, has a natural revulsion to reptiles and has to really work to remind himself that what he's facing is not a dumb animal, but a starship captain just like him. Except, you know, reptilian. Kirk punches and kicks and the Gorn doesn't even seem to feel it. Kirk throws a big rock at the Gorn, but it just bounces off. The Gorn throws a boulder at Kirk and holy crap, the Gorn just threw a boulder at Kirk! Luckily, he misses. Aboard the Enterprise, Spock tries to figure out what they can do besides sit and wait before finally realizing that all they can do is sit and wait. Kirk, meanwhile, is making his way to higher ground, passing bamboo and diamonds, but no weapons. He's making his way to a boulder at the top of a cliff, though, which he plans to drop on a hopefully unsuspecting Gorn. Eh, The Gorn's busy doing something else anyway. Kirk drops the boulder on the Gorn, and good news, direct hit. The Gorn's head is under the boulder. Kirk goes down to investigate, but finds the Gorn very much not dead. Fleeing, Kirk gets caught in a trap constructed by the Gorn. The Gorn is now moving in for the kill. Act 4. Kirk escapes just as the Gorn closes in. Fleeing, he finds sulfur, but damn it, no weapon! Back in space, the Metrons contact the Enterprise. Kirk, they say, is about to die. They suggest the crew prepares whatever memorial seems appropriate. Bones appeals in the name of civilization, but with their violent tendencies, the Metron doubts that the humans know one thing about civilization. Tell you what, though, we'll let you watch your captain die instead. Okay? Kirk finds potassium nitrate, but still no... Wait a minute. Bamboo? Diamonds? Sulfur? Potassium nitrate? All Kirk needs now is coal, and he can make a gun. Then, a voice. It's the Gorn. He can talk, but he's really tired of the chase. If Kirk will just hold still, the Gorn promises to make his death quick and merciful. Kirk brings up the destruction on Cestus III, but the Gorn says that outpost was an intrusion on Gorn's space. Spock and Vones figure the Gorn may have been simply trying to protect itself, though Spock says working this out is a job for the diplomats. Back in the arena, Kirk finishes his gun and fires on the Gorn, injuring but not killing him. Going in for the kill, Kirk has a change of heart. He tosses aside the Gorn's stone knife, yells to the unseen Metrons that he will not kill the Gorn, and that they will have to seek their entertainment elsewhere. With that, the Gorn vanishes, and the Metron appears. He's impressed by Kirk's mercy. Maybe there's hope for humans after all. That said, he will kill the Gorn and the Gorn ship if Kirk wants him to, but Kirk says no. They'll try to talk out their differences. The Metron is more impressed, saying, who knows? In a few thousand years, maybe your race and our race can come to some sort of agreement. Don't call us. We'll call you. Kirk is then zapped back to the Enterprise. The Enterprise is then zapped to a totally different area in space. It sets a course back to Cestus III, presumably to make peace with the Gorn. The end. So this show really starts off with a bang. And it just keeps getting more and more intense. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of explosions, a lot of old school dust in the air, things flying around explosions while we're on Cestus. Well, the weird thing, though, is it doesn't actually start with a bang. It starts with something like an energy weapon of some sort, sort of like from the 1950s uh, War of the Worlds or or the uh, 2000 whatever War of the Worlds. Now that I think about it, where you see a guy and he says he actually literally says, I see something. And then, we, and then we don't see him anymore because he's apparently zapped by by some sort of energy weapon. But yet the rest of uh, the rest of the weapons that the uh, it turns out the Gorn we don't know who it is at the time, but the rest of the weapons the Gorn throughout them very much conventional weaponry. They're 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 basically using grenade launchers. 
But for some reason, they just had no patience for that red shirt at all. And they're like, we're going to use the energy weapon on him and just start paring down that landing party a little bit. Exactly. Let's get that one guy. We've got, yeah. enough. We've got enough for one more shot with our laser weapon. Well, then hit the guy in the red shirt and then we'll just throw whatever else we have at everybody else. Right. A um, couple other things that I noticed here. Hey, uh, did you notice that we have uh, space normal speed again kinda mentioned like it. in a show for the second time? Yeah, kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. They, the Gorn, when they approached, just approached at space normal speed. Nothing to worry about. Um, I'm actually going to replace the speedometer on my car. And uh, it's going to say highway normal speed, uh, city streets normal speed, and it'll just be an indicator that says that. You don't just wake up in the future, John. You have to start working towards it. So I think you're right. Exactly. We we don't talk about speed limits. We'll talk about normal speed. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, it's a really convenient thing that when the Metrons are telling Kirk and the Gorn, by the way... There's a weapon down there. You just have to figure it out. It's a good thing they knew about gunpowder. <laughs> you know, I guess it's a good thing that their evolution of um, uh, war and uh, and all of this have led them to the exact same chemical development that we did on Earth. And maybe the Gorn just did not well, for some reason. But I, I guess we're now we're saying that gunpowder is a universal truth. Well, I mean, it's possible that that is what we're saying, although let's be fair, the, the Metron did say that they had scanned, you know, the the computer systems of the Enterprise and presumably did the same thing for the Gorn. And so they left stuff down there that each one theoretically could use to make a weapon. I mean, remember, the Gorn is not looking for any kind of explosive, despite their um, apparent prowess with explosives, uh, as witnessed by Cestus III. Um, he goes immediately to building a trap. Yeah. Which works. Yeah. It works mm-hmm. very well. All he has to do is, you know, sort of get Kirk into that trap um, right. or get him towards it. So, I mean, maybe it was it was looking over Earth history that they were like, oh, any idiot knows how to make gunpowder or what? <laughs> I, I feel like we're making it too easy. If I leave bamboo here and about an acre away, I leave, <laughs> I leave potassium nitrate and then maybe over on another hill, I'll leave sulfur. Yeah. Why don't Why don't we have more guns made out of bamboo? Um, you know, <laughs> I like it's a, it. a renewable resource. It, um, it looked like a gun fired by Wiley e. Coyote as soon as it was done. I mean, the way I it like totally splayed out. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like somebody yeah. had stuck their finger in the end of the gun and exploded all over all over Kirk. I so um, my guess is I mean because I, I did think about that I was like okay what's the chance that Kirk actually knows how to make gunpowder and then going further back it's like what's the chance that you know the Metron knows how to make gunpowder but again they've looked all through the the, the computer uh, records of the Enterprise good thing they didn't like you know oh we should leave them the materials to make a sword right <laughs> right we'll have, right. We'll have rocks hey, Kirk, very how's your metallurgy exactly. it's kind of like uh, Trelane viewing Earth's past and not understanding where things are now yeah. Well, I mean, also, I mean, I don't know whether, I don't know, I don't guess we get to it really, although Kirk does say at the end with the Metron, you'll have to, you know, find your entertainment someplace else. I don't think they wanted to make the killing easy. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I don't want to get into the message yet, but maybe that's one of the sort of the more subtle messages. Um, the Gorin found it very easy to kill everybody on Cestus Three, and had the Enterprise been able to catch up, uh, they might have been able to uh, to kill the Gorn in fairly short order. Well, except the Gorn did have shields, so when the Enterprise fired their phasers and their photons, um, the Gorn did stand up to that. But, I mean, the sense you get is the Metron, I mean, maybe they're just diabolical and wanted to watch them, you know, fight it out because it's a fun blood sport. 
it's also quite possible that they wanted to send a message about, no, if you want to kill somebody, you're really going to have to get up there and do it. This is not going to be yeah. one of those things where you can stand 50 feet away and, you know, and do that. Maybe we should yeah. talk about that more in the message part. Go ahead. What are, tell, tell me your other things just about, about the show itself. Well, there's a couple of these. I do enjoy the the Metron position here. That they, it's kind of like a parent, you know, just just separating a couple of squabbling kids, you know. <laughs> so that that aspect of it, I, I kind of enjoyed. Um, might be kind of uh, uh, maybe one of the shortcomings, just of the the Gorn costume or something like that. But they seem pretty ill-equipped for things like technology and space travel. And like you said, he's building a trap. He's not you know, coming up with a clever way out of this. Uh, he, he is clever, but it, his idea of clever is more brute force. And yet they have spaceships and they have warp drive, presumably, and energy weapons and all these other things. Well, more than that, well, okay, the Gorns, uh, apparently the Gorns' uh, weapon of choice is a trap because that is how the Enterprise ended up at Cestus Three. Mm-hmm. Kirk mm-hmm. even says at one point, it's a trap. Yeah. But um, they are very technologically advanced. They're able to figure out, for whatever reason, maybe it's just listening in or maybe they go through the records or whatever, but they're not only able to figure out that Travers is the Commodore, the guy that would need to call the Enterprise. Right. They also figure out that there is an Enterprise. They figure out that they need to go ahead and lure the Enterprise there, and somehow they are able to impersonate Travers. And they are also smart enough to separate the Enterprise from its tactical crew. Oh, bring your tactical people down here because I have a problem for them to solve. The problem is the Gorn don't want anybody that can actually defend themselves on the Enterprise, which is how you have that awkward moment where Kirk, uh, who is apparently most of the tactical crew of the Enterprise, it turns out, is like running, dodging, you know, mortar fire and telling Zulu fire phasers. Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, and I understand – you know, everybody has a job to do on board a ship or on board a starship or, you know, in this man's army or whatever you want to say. I would think that Sulu would be smart enough to notify our phasers. <laughs> I, I think he is. I'm pretty sure that he All right. is. Because, yeah. because he seemed to be waiting for Kirk to tell him and Kirk, you know, seemed to keep, keep you know, sort of piping in and going, oh, well, well maybe try the photon torpedoes then. Ah, <laughs> we hadn't thought of the photon torpedo. We need tactical. Where's tact? Yeah. <laughs> the Gorn, the Gorn are very weird. You're right because when you look at them, they don't seem like they would be that inv- advanced. But you know, you could also, if you want to, I just keep skipping to the message part. I mean, you could also do the whole "don't judge a book by its cover" thing. I mean, which which Kirk actually does mention as well. We'll save that as well. Remind okay. me, books, covers. Uh, I'll make a note. Go ahead. My my, my two last uh, little notes here, uh, and observing the story here. Uh, Uhura yells really loud when Kirk disappears. Boy, that that's quite the yell. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know? it was uh, worthy of, of, of a shower scene in Psycho. Yeah, like Uhura seems like a, a lady who can keep her cool most of the time. But this, the, you know, for all the appearing and disappearing that happens on Star Trek, that one really caught her off guard. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, and, and I, there's this, this one little moment that I love uh, where uh, uh, McCoy is talking about going down to Cestus and, and having a, a good meal. And Spock just says, you are a sensualist. And uh, McCoy responds in the affirmative. And I, I just, I, I, for some reason, I, I love that line. I love Spock calling him out, and I love McCoy owning it. Yeah, it's a total Vulcan thing too, right? Like saying, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're a sensualist is like, a, is like an insult. Right. Nope. <laughs> right. Yes, sir. Yes, I am. Food from yeah. not a tube, count me in. 
how dare you? Look, look at your fancy ways. You like food. <laughs> hey, give it a rest, Spock. Hey, what's the best-selling snack in the arena? Popcorn. You know, all of the running, and fighting, and sweating, it makes me a little, gorny. Forced to fight whether he wants to or not, one could say Kirk faces, a Gorn ultimatum. I've gotta say, it's a good thing the Gorn is wearing clothes in this episode, otherwise, it would be, Gornographic. Running headlong into the part where we start talking about the messages, the morals, the meanings, that kind of thing. Not doing the whole wrapping it up, but just, you know, getting to sort of the meat of the story. Um, I want to quickly touch on the one that I just said a couple of minutes ago. Um, Not judging a book by its cover. It it seems overly simplistic, and yet it is something that is brought up. You said uh, in the last segment that the Gorn seemed ill-equipped for the kind of things that we're seeing the Gorn do. Yeah, This is something that Kirk has to remind himself about as well. I love the fact, I mean, first of all, apologies to the people in the audience listening who have pet snakes or, or pet iguanas or something like that. Um, Kirk is the one who is all anti-reptile. <laughs> it's he kind is, of funny to yeah. me when he is like, oh, like most humans, I have a natural revulsion to reptiles. I immediately, of course, thought of Indiana Jones. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> but Kirk says, you know, okay, yeah, this guy creeps me out, but I kind of have to remember he's not an animal. He is, you know, a starship captain, theoretically as clever as I am. So, I mean, you could you could automatically say, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, and you could even apply that a second time to what the Metron do with both the Gorn and the humans. They take a very quick look at the Metrons and the humans. I'm sorry, at the Gorn and the humans. And, you know, what they happen to be doing right when they get their first look and say, well, <laughs> no hope for this. Uh, let's have one kill the other and then we'll kill them all. Yeah, well, and, and there's another moment where, where that happens, where we're back on the bridge and McCoy and Spock are watching what is happening down on the planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, McCoy comes to the realization we may have been the intruders. You know, the, the, or I think Spock says that, and then McCoy follows up. The Gorn may have simply been trying to protect himself. You know, so it, again, we're we're allowing a little more um, understanding, a, a little more kind of psychological understanding that this isn't just a a brutish thing that only attacks. Well, at the same you time, know? though, they are both very brutish in the whole thing. It's kind of weird that. Mm-hmm. I understand Cestus Three has been destroyed. I understand they've just been attacked, but it never even seems to cross Kirk's mind that he should try to contact uh, the Gorn. Right, right. Right? It's just, yeah. oh, I need to kill that. And then they, you know, they beam away and Kirk's like, oh, but they're trying to kill us. We need to kill them. I yeah. mean, and like, it seeks absolutely no, um, you know, hi. <laughs> <laughs> you, you seem angry. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to tell me, you know, why this is happening? I mean, he's just he's loaded for bear the second that it happens. Yeah, well, it's a pretty brutal fight. You know, that, that might be the, the human reaction there. Going back know? the other way, though, what was your how did that sit with you when when suddenly Spock and Bones are like, oh, maybe they were just trying to defend themselves? Well, I mean, I thought that that, that was one of those, you know, purely Star Trek things where it, 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 it is. We go into a situation assuming that we know what's happening. We assume we know who's on what side. Mm-hmm. And then we humanize, for lack of a better word here, the uh, the thing that repulses us most, this lizard creature. 
And we take a step back and say, oh, no, no, well, wait a minute. There is another side to the story here. Even though the reality is we are potentially going to get killed here, our captain is going to get killed here, um, there is at least some value in understanding the whole story. What about the part, though, where the Gorn also did not try to make contact? I mean, what about the part where the Gorn didn't say, hey, fella, uh, it's kind of my backyard that you've moved into. Could you maybe move along? I mean, for Bones and and Spock to decide that what the Gorn were doing were protecting themselves, I mean, Mm -hmm. that would only work if if the Cestus outpost had, you know, launched weapons into Gorn space. Unknowingly, they moved into where they were. And so the Gorn just, you know, know, uh, just dropped the boom on them. Didn't even, didn't even, you know, try to say, maybe we could trade or maybe you could get lost now. I mean, just, you know, (laughs) step one, find somebody, step two, attack them for being there. Well, I mean, maybe this is part of that kind of human centrist uh, uh, kind of thing, human centric kind of thing here where we're saying, um, well, it it is better for us to turn the other cheek, to Mm. learn a little something about our enemy. The Gorn did it wrong, but, but we will still continue to try to be better about it. You know, mm-hmm. we, we will continue to try to be that race that reaches out for some communication, some understanding, even if the enemy is not reciprocating. You know, the, the Metrons say it, hey, look, maybe in a thousand years, <laughs> you'll get to that point. It may take that long. We've got a long road to hoe. Yeah, we, but, we need yeah. to make a chart, by the way, of all of the much bigger than human races that we're coming across now because we've got Baylock, we've got we've got uh the the Talosians, we've got the people who ran the amusement planet yeah. and now we've got the metrons yeah yeah just- again we we run into this incredibly advanced civilization but no can't stick around we can't talk to them you they are just send us on our way you are so not ready for us no you were just not even close and honestly you know why do we want to deal with you you're practically 3 you're eating stuff you know found on the bottom of chairs or or on the ground. <laughs> right. And we are right. so beyond that. So we're going to watch you, but you, yeah, we're not going to talk to you until we feel like you're worth talking to. Yeah. Kind of crazy. But but it's one of those things, again, where uh, another common Star Trek theme where you, you, you have this more powerful alien race or this more powerful entity, and they are testing humanity. You know, they're, they're not specifically testing humanity. They're, they're testing humans and Gorn. Well, they're not even really testing anybody, though. That's the thing, right? I mean, they're... Well, they, but it's, it, it, it's it weird. kind of comes to that at the end, I, I think. Well, I mean, they end up being impressed by that. I, the, the, the Metrons kind of uh, confuse me a tiny bit because mm-hmm. while they, you know, put themselves up as being this, you know, uber-advanced society and, and they're bothered by the fact that the Gorn and the, and, the, and the humans are just, you know, trying to kill each other and that's just wrong. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to set up a way where you guys can kill each other. And what's ultimately going to decide this, I mean, basically, the, <laughs> I don't know if the Metrons would say this for their own society, but what they decide is going to be cool for, you know, both the humans and the Gorn is might makes right. Whoever mm-hmm. prevails in this fight must be the worthy race. So, you know, we'll have one of you and one of them. And then, you know, whichever one of those people wins, that's basically going to decide the fate of, you know, the other 400, however many people are on whichever respective ship. 
Well, if you take them at face value, I mean, who knows? It, the, the Metrons are still more powerful than humans and more powerful than Gorn. Right. So if they look at this and they say, all right, we'll, we'll put these two in a match. We'll see what happens. And boy, whoever wins, we need to watch out for them. And maybe we need to take them out, you know, because they could be a threat to us as well. well. You're kind of making up stuff, though, that wasn't said, right? I mean, well, I I kind of but but here's the thing, you know, I I, I feel like um, we have this in sci-fi every now and then where, where you have this superior entity, the superior intelligence. And I feel like they paint themselves into a corner where they always say, um, okay, you, you, particularly when it comes to us, science fiction is a reflection of humanity. You are so uncivilized and so violent. We're going to make you fight, you know, or, or we are going to destroy you or, or some other kind of violent answer to what's going on. And then the right answer is always to not fight. Mm-hmm. But it is the same kind of logic from uh, the day the earth stood still. You know, Michael Rennie, Klaatu, shows up on Earth. And what's the first thing we do? We shoot him. Yeah. And he realizes this planet is too violent. The, this race is too violent. Therefore, because we are superior and we are evolved and we're beyond that, what's the answer? We're going to destroy you. And it'll be violent, and it'll be terrible, and you will rue the day that Klaatu landed on your planet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is a little bit of a logical problem here. I feel like maybe a race that advanced would have realized that humans are uncivilized, but they're also not advanced enough that we actually would pose a threat. Well, we might have at some point, though. I mean, the problem with the Metron, because we never got to the Metron's solar system, right? The Metron mm-hmm. don't really care what happens outside their solar system, it seems. The problem is the the battle uh, skirmish, you could even call it, since they haven't even established any kind of contact yet. The skirmish between uh, humans and Gorn is just getting a little too close to their space. I mean, in some ways, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. the Metron are replicating what the Gorn did. The humans move to Cestus Three. The Gorn kill them. Yeah. <laughs> the, the humans then, other humans, chase the Gorn near uh, the solar system and you know the, the solar system the inhabitants of the solar system the metron decide that's a little too close for us we are going to kill them now it's not right but i don't think it's i don't think it's so much like oh we're going to make them fight just for fun i think it's more like um i think it's more again it's the self-protection self-preservation thing why that's automatically the first thing though you're right i mean why didn't Klaatu, you know say Hey, don't shoot me. I'm trying to help you guys. <laughs> right. Rather than saying, hey, you shot me. You're done. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the Metrons kind of, you know, maybe it could have gone another direction, but the, the, the Metrons assume that this will be a violent battle. Yeah. You know, they, they, they basically stack the deck saying, we're sending you to this planet. You can build a weapon. The materials are there to build a weapon. But there's not even the assumption that the translators would work to negotiate a peace. Yeah. You know, may, maybe that was the other outcome possible is that Kirk says, hey, I don't want to fight you. And the Gorn says, hey, that's all right. Let's talk this out. And then the Metrons would have been really impressed with this. Yeah. <laughs> but but I feel like they kind of stacked the deck already. Well, again, though, they did catch them in the middle of trying to kill each other. Well, they, oh, they caught yeah. the Enterprise in the middle of trying to kill the Gorn. The Gorn were fleeing at that point. I mean, yeah. that that super cool, I shouldn't say super cool like I want one, but that super cool uh, grenade 
Because the Gorn yeah. have been throwing grenades for like 10 minutes, right? There's like, bam, bam, right. there's one, there's another one, and there's another one. And Kirk uh, launches one grenade. And the Gorn are like, yeah, right. oh. <laughs> and and they yeah. beam out. And then they hightail it away from Cestus Three. So, I mean, they, I mean, they, 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 the Metron really did not catch humanity in its finest moment. Right. There's no reason that they wouldn't think that that's what they were going to do, except, of course, they did read the computer records and, you know, maybe they would have known. OK, well, normally these guys aren't that bad, but right now they're really bad. I will say, I mean, we talked you, you, you mentioned and this was something that we had talked about in the last segment, whether or not the Metron were testing uh, both the Gorn and the humans. Uh, maybe I mean maybe the ultimate test is all right. You can sit in a ship that's hundreds of light years away, or you know, or hundreds of meters away, or however far away one ship is from another, mm-hmm. and tell somebody else to push a button, and eventually that chain leads to a ship being destroyed. But here's what you got now: you got a guy, and he's laying down in front of you, and you got a knife at his throat. Yeah. Okay. So are you the killer that you think you are? Are you the killer that we think you are? Or are you? Capable of being something better? Are you something better? Are you something that will, you know, really stop and think for a second uh, before you go ahead and drive the point home? Yeah, and no, uh, I, I, and, I and Kirk that. passes that test if that is one of the tests that they're setting up. Yeah, I, I love that actually, and it, you know that that's kind of an argument. Not not that this is a show, uh, whether this episode or or our episode of Mission Log is not about gun control or something like that. But but you hear that argument a lot, you know. Um, that it's so easy, relatively speaking, to pick up a gun and and aim it kind of wildly and just pick out your target and then you're done and you didn't have to have that physical contact. It's a lot harder to pick up a knife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're really going after somebody, um, then you have to have that intimate contact yeah. and really decide that you are going to kill somebody. And, yeah, the same thing happens here. This Very is, much so. This is one of the... Um... I mean, there are two things that I think of. I mean, there's uh, Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, mm-hmm. where we find out this kid who is absolutely fantastic at this game has actually been fighting an interstellar war, unbeknownst to him. Because, I mean, he mm-hmm. thought he, I believe, and it's been a long time since I've read it. So if I'm misremembering this, I apologize. But as memory serves, he thought he was training. And it turns out the training that he's been doing has actually been, it's basically drone war. This is the other thing that it makes me think of. And I don't want to get into the politics of, you know, how how things are going in the early part of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I will say there are some people and I don't know where I am on it personally. Mm-hmm. There are some people who say that the that, that the use of drones by various countries and organizations has made killing a bit too simple, a bit too easy. We're not thinking mm-hmm. as much about what we do right. when we do that. And I'm not trying to stir up anything. I'm just saying that's that's sort of another thing yeah. that might be applicable here. I mean, if you put well, somebody in a room with somebody else and say there's one way through the door, will they actually then try to find another way or will it automatically be, well, somebody's got to die? Well, this is a big, big buildup for Kirk. You know, um, I, I, I love the, uh, the kind of tension in this episode. We start with all the, uh, the action on Cestus, but then when we get to the Enterprise and Kirk is so – obsessed and singularly driven by stopping that Gorn ship uh, to the point where, like you said in the story breakdown, that people on the bridge are freaking out by this. But he is so determined to make this mission happen. And his mission is to destroy that other ship. Mm -hmm. But you keep building and building and building. And then by the time you get to the final showdown with the Gorn, 
he can't do it. Uh, so there's something that changed in Kirk. That, and, and whether it, it's realizing that now the stakes are different because he is being tested and there there literally is an entity watching what he is doing um, or just the kind of physical change and that he's not in the safe confines of the enterprise now he's actually got to do this for real and well, by his own hand. There's a third option too though. I mean don't forget the only reason Bones and Spock are able to pick up on the fact that the Gorn saw Cestus three as an invasion of their space is because the Gorn said it. So I mean, Kirk mm-hmm. does have mm-hmm. new information True. as as he's standing there about to kill the Gorn. That new information being, oh, you thought we were invading you, huh? I remember how that felt when I thought five minutes ago that you were invading <laughs> us. Maybe I should rethink this whole "I'm going to kill you" thing. Right. Well, and again, and, and he's humanized the Gorn a little. You know, he starts out saying, "Oh, it, it, it's a reptile. I'm disgusted by reptiles." <laughs> But he has managed to humanize the Gorn over the course of this period, which it seems like he would have been able to do anyway, but regardless. You know what would have been great at the beginning of Act 3? What's that? Captain's Log. Ew! <laughs> Ew, lizards! Exactly. That would, have been kind of, that would have been kind of neat, and thank God it wasn't a chameleon. Um, <laughs> so is there a more overarching, overarching, overlaying uh, question here about violence begetting violence about the idea that you know about what's going to break that sort of cycle i think so i mean what what would have happened if kirk had just killed the gorn if he, if he had just submitted to that kind of primal instinct and said, you know we've been fighting for so long now i'm winning and i'm going to kill the gorn um <sighs> Well, they go back. I mean, this is very similar to the um, question that was faced in Balance of Terror. Mm-hmm. The, the Romulans had come across the neutral zone. They had, you know, destroyed like three or four outposts that were set to guard the neutral zone. And then they were turning around to go back. And what was decided on the bridge of the Enterprise or, or with, the, um, with the officers of the Enterprise at that point was if we allow the Romulans to go back, then the Romulans will think we got nothing. And they yeah. will come back in force. This is basically the exact same conclusion that Kirk reaches at chasing after the Gorn. He thinks that you know this is the beginning of an invasion that they've basically come to poke a hole in their defenses. And if the Gorn are allowed to go back, they will go back believing they poked a hole in their defenses. And then here come all the Gorn, not just the one ship. So yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's it you know, <laughs> it's it's tough to know what would have happened at that point. You can argue, and maybe that's the reason the Metron would be willing to go along with it, too. At the end of it, when Kirk makes the human decision, the, the, the greater human decision to not kill the Gorn, the Metron's like, oh, yeah, the Gorn, we put him back on the ship. Which, by the way, we will still destroy if you want us to. <laughs> right, right. At no additional cost to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, we don't have to find out. I mean, I guess that's the good news. We don't well, need to find out what would have happened had Kirk killed the Gorn or had Kirk asked the Metron to go ahead and, you know, uh, make the uh, Gorn ship no longer be. Uh, I mean, he decides to do the, the more noble thing instead and says, hey, maybe we can get together with them over, like, you know, a salad <laughs> or whatever they eat. We can talk. That's my point. We can get together and we can talk. In fact, I'm going to go back to the place where we just tried to kill each other. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we can start the conversation there. Yeah. But, but how is the Gorn going to respond to this? You know, that's really the big question because we, we have two competing things here. We have the tactical necessity 
of stopping the Gorn, or as you drew that parallel, stopping the Romulans in Balance of Terror. But then we have the human decision to not kill the enemy. And with with two purposes in mind, you know, one, I don't want to sink to the level of just being a killer. And two, maybe this then will lead to some kind of understanding, some well, kind of peace. One would hope that that would be the case. I mean, I'm reminded of what I always heard growing up in the South as a kid and always mm-hmm. had a hard time believing uh, that snakes were more afraid of me than I was afraid of them. It never really it never really made any sense to me because I was deathly afraid of snakes, and yet every adult would always tell me, no, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. Just leave them alone. Right. I mean, right. what the Gorn were doing was what came natural to their reptilian nature, perhaps. They're, they're building yeah. – they, they build a passive weapon, that being the trap, and they basically retreat. I mean, the second that they realize that, oh, my rearing up and sort of, you know – uh, you know, showing my fangs is not going to work. They get on their ship and they try to run away as fast as they can. Yeah. And yet there is enough intelligence there that they've built ships that they're able to, you know, that they are able to trap the enterprise, that they're able to trick the enterprise into coming there in very convincing ways. Um, one would hope that they would then see, you know, uh, Kirk's, uh, I don't know, compassion, charity, what have you. And say, all right, well, I guess we don't need to kill them because when he had the chance to kill us, he did not. This is not something I have to fear quite as much anymore. This is something that I can now go ahead and reason with because if there's one thing I can do, it is reason. Well, I guess we have to hope that the uh, the Gorn crew are watching all of this play out the same way that the Enterprise crew <laughs> was watching this play out. Because if not, then the Gorn captain goes back to his ship and he says, oh, man, I, I kicked that guy's ass. <laughs> can, <laughs> you know? can, you, uh, can you imagine what the message would be from the Metron to the Gorn? Hey, guys, you, you, you seriously stop what you're doing and come to the TV because you're <laughs> a captain. He is so representing Gorndom. <laughs> right, right. But, I, you know, the, the real question here is, well, what happens next? Because Kirk does the right thing. Clearly, clearly he does the right thing. And he ends the, the cycle of violence here. You know, it, it would have been more killing, more death, more violence. And Kirk decides to put a stop to it. And he made the right decision. But he made the right decision because then you've got this higher entity, this higher power saying you made the right decision and we're going to kind of fix everything for you. Yeah. You know, but what we don't know is what happens next. Do the the Gorn go back and kind of lick their wounds and say, Hey, getting shot with a diamond cannon really hurts. I'm going to turn back around and come after you. Well, we don't know. There's no sequel to this episode. Uh, See, I did Ben folds five earlier. I'm going to do the chemical brothers this time. I say brother's going to work it out. I am sorry to let you down, but I have exhausted my supply of Gorn-related humor. Let us instead push on to the morals, messages, and meanings learned in the arena. So as we are wont to do on every episode of the Mission Log, we like to hold up what we have discussed and figure out, does the production hold up? Is there a message? Does that message hold up? So you tell me, Ken, just looking at this as a production, as a as a little slice of TV from the 1960s, does it hold up? Yeah. I th- well, the, uh, Act 3 is a little long. 
I mm-hmm. mean, once, once, I mean, the Vasquez rocks are beautiful. Oh, you yeah. Know? The Vasquez rocks are really beautiful. And uh, the pile of stones and the bamboo and the sulfur uh, really each stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> they do. So the fact that, that, you know, we see something that's completely incongruous with the area, but Kirk does not, or he sees it, but doesn't think, you know, maybe this is something I would need or something I could use. I mean, he finds all of these different pieces and tosses them aside. Now, maybe he has not had years of playing video games as you and I have, or maybe he mm-hmm. didn't grow up playing D&D. Um, you know, there, there's some things, though, that are left in your way that you just habitually, as an adventurer, pick up. And you hold right. on to them, and you don't even know if they're going to be useful, but you hold on to them. And then if you find something that's more useful, you throw away the thing that, you know, it turns out was not that useful. That he doesn't see that is, is a little bit hard to buy. Uh, everything else about it, though, I think is wonderful. Uh, the other thing, of course, that suffers is the Gorn outfit. It's neat. Yeah. It's iconic as far as, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan. Uh, but, um, I mean, the costume could have been a little bit better. But I'm okay with it because it's the 19, you know, it's it's 50-something years ago or, you know, 40-something years ago at this point. Yeah. I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I feel like this is one of those episodes where the, the iconography sort of overshadows the actual show, where everybody knows the Gorn. Everybody knows Vasquez Rocks. Everybody knows Kirk fighting him and using the, the uh, diamond cannon all this stuff. But – they don't really know the show. And the thing that I liked about it is there's more to it than I actually remember. I, I love the buildup and I, I love the um, uh, I, I love the situation on the Enterprise. And I love that we kind of get to see Kirk's decision making. There's just a lot more to it than me thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to review Arena. So one with the Gorn and they fight. Yeah, I honestly you know? wasn't sure when we went into this episode, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure how we were going to do it because my memory of this episode was the battle at Vasquez Rocks. And right. I thought <laughs> I was actually a little bit because I haven't seen it in years. And my fear was, wow, do I really want to sit through 48 minutes of two guys chasing each other around rocks? Right. Because that's all the, it's sort of like we were talking about, you know, the whole iconic nature of it. That's all people remember. So, yeah, yeah, there is definitely a lot more to the episode than that. Yeah, yeah, but it's a great use of location. There's a lot of action. Um, I agree with you that it feels like there's a bit of padding there, you yeah. know, because you do have that very long Act Three, um, and some of the production values don't necessarily hold up. But but I'm okay with that. If I watch it in the context of this being from the '60s, then I'm a little bit okay with that. Um, but let's talk about the message here because we did have some interesting uh, uh, topics that we found. Mm-hmm. So what did you get? Well, there's the whole don't judge a book by its cover thing, which seems overly simplistic, but I think only because we were told that since we were little kids doesn't mean mm-hmm. we actually do it, you know, so I mm-hmm. guess I guess that is a message that I think probably is there. They And it's both on the – I mean it's on all three parts. The humans see the Gorn and think, ew. Um, the Gorn see the humans and think, threat. Mm-hmm. And the Metron see both the Gorn and the humans and think nowhere near evolved. Half savage that the the, uh, the Metron actually refers to after the humans have proven themselves to be, you know, decent. <laughs> the Metron yeah, right. still say that the humans are half savage. So um, not assuming, you know, just based on first looks or, you know, put more simply and in ways that we've heard since we were in kindergarten, don't judge a book by its cover. Um I would say it's definitely a message that's in there. And, and of course, um, you know, if, if kindergarten taught me anything, is a message that does stand the test of time. <laughs> right. I haven't been to kindergarten in a while, though, so I'll have to go back and check. 
Okay, let us know. Um, I, I think to me, you know, the the messages are obvious, and even if again they are kind of simplistic, but the the Metron realizes and helps Kirk realize that mercy is this sort of advanced trait. Mm-hmm. And and it's a good way to signal the state of our civilization. So humanity has a long way to go, but but we're kind of getting there. And this is a good indication of that. We don't always act that way, but we have the capacity to do it. Um, so they're, they're very impressed with that. Um, so I, I think that's one of the messages here for sure. And um, just going along with that idea of... Uh, not judging a book by its cover. You know, again, this is this Star Trek idea that understanding where an enemy is coming from, even if it's still your enemy, is critical to how this plays out. Uh, May not necessarily mean that that creature is not your enemy still, but that will at least go some ways into how you resolve your differences. Now, what about the um, what about the part of of killing being an actual thing as opposed to killing being pushing a button? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty interesting way to look at this. You know, when you take away the technology and you take away the distance mm-hmm. uh, uh, that we allow in killing, or that we allow in violence, then uh, then you really have to face the the consequence of that. And, and I think that's what helps Kirk then to end that cycle of violence you know if if you're going to if you're going to end the violence you have to be the one to actually end it (laughs) you know you you can't be the one to say well we'll we'll end the violence but after i kill my enemy and not only do you have to be the one to end it but you have to be the one to recognize that that's what you're doing right i mean not just ending the violence but i mean you have to recognize the violence inherent in 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 the actions that you're taking it's nothing it's like that it's like that episode of uh the twilight zone you know hold this box and they made a movie you know but you mm-hmm. know keep this box for 24 hours if you push this button you'll get everything you want but somebody you don't even know will die yeah. it's like that i mean it's basically that kind of it, it's, it's sort of along those lines there's a reality to uh to killing that um i mean certainly kirk has faced before but i mean it, it's it's brought home in this episode when he's literally over the guy uh with a knife so how about these messages do they hold up um i think so at the risk of getting hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I believe. I mean, I don't I am not I am not somebody who thinks that there should not be ever be war. I am not somebody who thinks that there should never be battle. I am not somebody who thinks that you you never have to defend yourself. Sometimes you do, mm-hmm. but you got to know what you're doing and you got to know why. Yeah. And and it would not hurt to have a real understanding of what it is you are doing when you do that. I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm not saying, you know, let's completely disarm and let's disband the army and let's all sing Kumbaya. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe we'll do that in 500 years. Maybe we'll do that in 200 years. I doubt it, but maybe we will. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to get to that place. But in the meantime, I mean, just keep your eye on the ball. And if the ball is aimed at somebody's temple with the intent of killing them, if that's actually what has to happen, okay. But just know what you're doing. I mean, this is not, you know, this is not, uh, killing should not be easy. It should not be something that's done lightly. 
and that's and and it seems stupid to say that that's a message that we actually still need but it feels to me like this is actually a message that we still need doesn't mean it doesn't have to be done it just means know what you're doing before you do it yeah i you know i agree this is what i like about mission log is, is that we get to look at an episode where everybody just remembers oh it's kirk and the lizard and we get to look at this and say, well, well, maybe there's something a little more there. And you can still watch this and just enjoy it as a good action show. Um, but but uh, there's this other stuff here about um, humanizing the enemy, understanding the enemy, and then trying to be the better person and realizing that um, – uh, that the violent answer is not always the correct answer, and maybe there's a greater reward for not resorting to that. Um, but I agree with you as well, Ken, that that's not to say that violence isn't sometimes necessary. But at the very least, Kirk looks at an alternative here. And we, he, he is being the change, shall we say. <laughs> he, he's starting with the man in the mirror. He is. Because I'm all about the music references. Good job. <laughs> hey uh next week uh ken do you remember that episode when kirk went back in time and he took his own mother to the prom all he wanted to do was drive 88 yeah you're totally misremembering the episode <laughs> so next week we're gonna look at tomorrow is yesterday Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. You guys have been fantastic. Be sure to tip your waitress. Take care. And corn bless. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.